0: Mental health is my wealth, the stress up on the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seeking ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody
1: in the house know what I'm talking about. The big
0: silence. The big silence. Hello. And welcome back to the Big Silence Podcast. So happy you're here. Again, always thank you for joining and sharing and commenting and liking. You know, we at The Big Silence, we are a nonprofit foundation. So anything can help, even donations. We have these with no ads right now. And if you love the podcast, head over to com slash donate. On another note, are you around the Austin, Texas area on October 9th? Because if you're here or if you want to fly in and come to wine country and hang out, Go over to com slash events, and you will see that we are holding a fundraiser at our friend's winery. It is Slate Theory Winery. And if you listen to last week's podcast, I was talking about how Bobby and I just happened to enter this winery and noticed all of the mental health correlation from the names of their wines, from their the statement about why they do their business. And we became friends with the family over conversation and art and wine, of course, so we are doing an event for World Mental Health Awareness Day, which it is October 10th, but the event is on October 9th. It's from 11 to 2 at the winery, not only the winery, but in the wine cave. So it is going to be music, meditation, wine, all the good stuff. It's I'm joined, I'll be doing a mental health talk, joined by James Kinney, who is, you know, you know the song, The Big Silence breathe and breathe out. He'll be performing. And then my friend Amber Valdez is doing a sound bath meditation. And then we're going to hang out, sip some wine, have conversation and have a damn good time. So I hope that you will join us there. And I love the what Slate Theory wine, Winery says about their wines. Fill your head with a full sensory experience that manifests in the form of psychologically stimulating wine. So I hope to see you there. So today's guest is Dr. Julia Britz. I was really excited to have a conversation with her. She's a licensed naturopathic doctor who received her training from Bester University in San Diego, specializes in supporting people who are struggling with mental health issues, such as anxiety, OCD, eating disorders, and psychiatric medication tapering. So a lot of her clients, she tries to wean off of their pharmaceutical meds and go more homeopathic. So, great conversation. We talk about gut health and anxiety. We talk about why why she got into this and how she was a lost cause and, you know, was told that she would just have to stay on pharmaceutical medication for her OCD and anxiety for the rest of her life. But amazing woman, so intelligent. I hope you love this conversation and enjoy it. I'll see you later. All right, and welcome to the podcast, Dr. Brits. I'm so excited to have you in for a conversation today. I'm so excited to be here. And Dr. Brits just told me she found us, me, through Tone It Up for many, many years. So that is really exciting. And I know.
1: I was doing um like hip raises in my living room, and mm-hmm. you guys had a YouTube channel, yeah, and you guys were doing hip raises in your living room, and I was like, oh my gosh! Wow, that's like <laughs> OG. Yeah. I think,
0: I know Kat, Kat and I have been talking. We're like, we should put more content on YouTube again. We're always going back and forth on like what to do next. So if the community's mm-hmm. out there, let us know. We're always listening, you know. Mm-hmm. So the conversation I'm excited to have with you because you're a neuropathic doctor. And for those of you who don't know, you know, from my story, the short of it is mother was schizophrenic and suffered from depression. She was on meds, off meds. And um, I went through my own anxiety, 10 years of depression, drug abuse. And I've, I don't know if you know this, Dr. Britz, but I went to, I had um, psoriasis all over my body. And I was mm. living a very unhealthy lifestyle. And I went to, back in the days, this was my early 20s, didn't have insurance. I went to a free clinic in LA. And the doctor was like, are you under a lot of stress? I was like, yeah. And, you know, asking about my nutrition and she said, I'm not going to prescribe you any prescription drugs. She's like, I'm going to prescribe you yoga and meditation and sunlight. And I was like, oh, oh, okay, I'm going to do that. And you know what? Yoga, it's how I got back into fitness and yoga, meditation, and some vitamin D. And so, you know, I've used a lot of natural ways of healing and dealing with anxiety and things like that. So I'm excited to hear from you, the expert in this. And everyone out there, I get a lot of messages about how we can do it naturally. And But before we get into that, though, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and how you got into this and
1: why. Oh, yeah. Well, um, and I love what you said about, I mean, that's so rare for a doctor to do the med thing. So that's actually really cool. And we've all been told at one point, like, eat healthier and it just goes one way or the other because it sounds like nothing after a while. And... For me, I, I was always a pretty healthy eater growing up, you know, and I, I mean, luckily my mom said, if you can't pronounce it, you can't have it. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't have monosodium polluted, couldn't pronounce that <laughs> for a while. Yeah. But I had OCD pretty young and it was pretty classic obsessive compulsive disorder type symptoms and it got progressively worse until I became totally unfunctional, I would say. By around age 20, I think that's pretty common for a lot of people. They hit college and then things just change and before you know it, your scale just tips and you just can't deal anymore. And I had some things that I thought were pretty normal to me that I now realize that were part of the anxiety picture I was dealing with. So I had a lot of social anxiety and a lot of depression, eating disorder stuff started pretty young as well. I just thought I just was hungry, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty common too. So I had tried a lot of things. And really what moved the dial for me immensely was seeing a naturopathic doctor. And I I remember leaving her office with all these supplements, going, okay. <laughs> I I said it wasn't gonna be my mother with like a wicker basket full of supplements, and now that's exactly what I have answers. But um <laughs> so but I felt so much better. It was so simple and it happened so quickly, and it was like someone had plugged me back in once we actually dealt with the root cause and I called her and I said, Hey, I want to do whatever you do. How do I do that? And that's what led me into school. And, and I never really wanted to go into specifically addiction and psychiatric medication discontinuation, but I, because I wanted to mental health functional mental health, but I found that it was also intertwined. And so I became super passionate about helping people just get to where I am now. Like, how do you overcome something that people said you can't get better? You need meds. You have to do this. Like, this is the way it is. And how do you get from there to here?
0: Yeah. So I want to go back for you as a kid. And what did OCD look like for you? And this is for anyone listening that maybe like feels that something might be going on, but they're not sure and there's not a name for it. Like, what did that look like for you?
1: For me, it was, I was a very like heady little kid, constantly up here thinking, is everybody okay? Is everyone happy? Am I doing the right thing? Is this good enough? And it was very perfectionistic with my homework. So I often didn't turn it in or turn it very late because I was just doing it over again. I would erase numbers because they weren't written perfectly. And so I don't remember having a ton of concrete obsessions as a kid, as much as I just felt this heightened sense of it has to be exactly right or something bad will happen. I didn't know what the bad meant. I just knew that it was going to be my fault. Mm -hmm. So I think if I look back, I remember um, I was really, really scared of people. Um, I was dropped off the first day at school and I looked around and I thought, why is everyone so happy? This is literally the worst thing that could ever happen to any of us because I was just so anxious. And I remember I was very picky about my clothing um, and what I was going to wear as very picky about my food. I didn't like feeling a lot of stimulation. So I didn't like food that tasted strong. You know, I didn't like ketchup because everything was just too stimulating. And I was just trying to calm myself I didn't really know that at that time. Um, and then when I became a teenager, it became a little bit more classic OCD stuff, you know, where I was tapping the counter and blinking a certain number of times. People mm-hmm. often confuse tics, with compulsions because they do both have a repetitive nature, and actually, my sister she had more of a, what we call pure O OCD, so she wasn't compulsing. She had some of the obsessions, mm-hmm. which are really intrusive thoughts, but not really compulsing on that one. My obsessions were things like if I don't do this a certain number of times, my family will die. If I don't go back on the freeway and make sure I did run over somebody for the twentieth time, then I probably did run over somebody. And I knew all this was crazy to me, like irrational, but The brain's always trying to logic its way out and think, okay, it's so strong what you're feeling. There has to be a reason. So if you don't figure it out, then obviously there's truth to the obsession. Um, And then it got more into the germs from there. But actually, as a kid, I hated being germy. I hated not washing my hands. I was a compulsive hand washer as a kid. Yeah. (laughs) So you mentioned your sister.
0: Is there um, a family history or some kind of trauma that happened when you were kids that maybe would lead to this or... Have you ever gone back to figure out where it came from?
1: I know, right? It's such a good question. Um, We were all pretty anxious, my siblings and I. My parents divorced when I was little, and I think that does play a role when you kind of experience that sense of loss. But aside from that, I think there was nothing that I could look back and see that was fairly obvious. I think for most of it, if I had to guess, it probably happened before I was age two Mm -hmm. um, in terms of... Some of I mean my parents and I love them so much, but it, there's a lot of anger there and mm-hmm. a little bit of alcohol stuff, and yeah, so I think you know you grew up and you're kind of used to that, and uh <laughs> so you don't really realize that it's maybe not quite soothing, especially if your nature is to be soothed, be more of a sensitive soul,
0: yeah, well, number one, divorce is traumatic for young kids, absolutely and I think I have a lot of friends and who haven't processed what it meant to see your your parents argue constantly growing up and then separate and understanding that Like every kid who has parents who go through a divorce should definitely work through that trauma because it is traumatic. I mean, trauma can be anything tiny, tiny to something big, depending on who you are and how it affects you. And then, you know, and being in an environment that maybe—because I'm saying this out of my own experience— normalizing your environment but not realizing how it's affecting your brain like growing up with a schizophrenic mother I was like it's totally normal that she burns her paintings and (laughs) doesn't let us watch tv and that she's saying my friend's parents are part of the antichrist I'm like oh okay I got it you know it's like it's like these things that you just normalize and even when we grow older you have to go through the healing part and figure out what was real what was not and you know it's all a process. So, there's a lot that you witness as a young kid that then, you know, I have a lot of anxiety, and it's gotten worse over the years. And so, I want to talk to you because there's this little herb shop down the street in Austin. Yeah. Yes. It's so good. I think it's called The Herb Shop. I might be doing it wrong. But um, they have all the good homeopathic stuff. So, um, I definitely want to get into what you do. And I want also all of your modalities that I've been trying to research, if you can explain them. But I'll let you take the lead on like, I would like to focus on maybe anxiety to start out with. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Well, that's the most common thing. And anxiety to me is, is a very difficult word for people because we all think of it differently. But I would think of anxiety as stress and fear kind of together. And it's usually very nerve wracking for people. It usually feels very... Spiky, intense, and quick. So people feel anxiety and they go, I got to get rid of it right now. And so depression's more slow, it's more, it's quieter, softer pressure over long term. So people generally say, if I can get rid of one first, I want the anxiety to go away first. Mm-hmm. And that's really what anxiety is. ADHD, you know, bipolar, they all have roots with anxiety. And it's something that people just, It's hard to have a positive relationship with that because there is a normal version of anxiety, which is healthy. And then there's the kind that feels out of our control and feels like it's hurting us. Can you, part of it starts as, can you actually explain a little deeper on like the
0: healthy anxiety versus the other? Just so someone listening, I'm like, what is healthy anxiety? Because maybe if I knew what healthy anxiety was, then I wouldn't have the bad anxiety because I'd be like, this is just my healthy anxiety.
1: I know, like the good stuff. (laughs) And so healthy anxiety is the stuff that keeps you safe. Like when you're about to hit a car and you slam on the brakes really hard and you're like, you Mm -hmm. feel all that, that's good. Like that's keeping you out of danger. So Mm -hmm. when it becomes quote unquote bad, it's when you sort of subconsciously think you're in danger all the time. And so everything becomes a source of threat to you. You're like, I don't want to look at my my bank account right now, and I'm afraid to talk to my boyfriend because I don't want to get into a fight. And then all these things lead to a threatening place of avoidance. And that increases that level of unhealthy anxiety, which is actually not really protecting you. Your brain's trying to protect you in its own way. But unfortunately, it's just taken a left turn doing that. So that's a huge area that I focus on because anxiety is going to lead to dysregulated eating patterns, like eating too much, not eating enough going to lead to poor sleep. So not being able to sleep, waking up four in the morning, having vivid dreams or nightmares. It's going to cause elevations in your stress hormones, uh, which we know directly linked to acne. So it's, yeah, anxiety, stress, I think are kind of one at this time. Yeah. So with anxiety
0: and stress, because I would have psoriasis when I get super mm-hmm. stressed out. So I'm going to be asking you, what should I do for my, what you would recommend for that? And I know a lot of yeah. people, even Katrina too, for those listening, co-founder at Tone It Up, she started getting the same kind of reactions too later in life.
1: Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And it's common. I mean, your skin is one of the first, it's the most important detox organ, well, one of them that we have. Um, and it will tell you what's happening internally. Mm-hmm. So usually people seem they have psoriasis, acne, anything else. I'm wondering what's happening in the gut or moaning happening with the liver, you know, the skin is just a reflection more mm-hmm. than it actually is. I mean, sure you can get, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah.
0: So what do you suggest to listeners and your clients? What would you recommend where people can begin?
1: Okay. So the first thing is always going to be being very honest with yourself. And I think that's actually harder for, in a way, for men to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because for a lot of reasons, but for usually for women, You know, they can recognize like, I don't feel good. They're a little more open about it. They'll talk to their friends and they'll kind of want to play around with what's actually happening. Men tend to, you know, internalize it a little bit more. Don't always feel worthy of help. They Mm -hmm. feel guilty because maybe it's not so bad. They don't want to seek it out right away. So it's a different way they kind of feel that. So for people that are just starting to wonder if they have an unhealthy relationship with anxiety and it's interfering with their life, that's where I say, it's important to talk to somebody that you trust. And it can be anybody just like to be a friend or whatever, doesn't matter. And it doesn't have to be so bad for therapy. Like you can have barely any issue and go to therapy. Like it's totally fine, you know? So you don't have to be the worst off ever to Mm -hmm. seek help. You're worthy of help no matter where you're at is kind Mm -hmm. of the point. And if therapy is just not doable, if it's not affordable, if whatever's not gonna happen, Therapy workbooks are actually so much better than they ever were. And so those can be really nice. There's some really great ones out there. One I really like in particular is Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life by Stephen Hayes. He was the creator of ACT Therapy. and It's a very, very gentle book. Louise Hayes has written so many mm-hmm. good books. I mean, she did, she she's alive. Yeah. Um, on self-love, which is a great place to start with all that. And if you really, really don't know, this is where it's important to just write down, just. Free write journal to let anybody see it. Just kind of get it on paper and get a sense of what's actually stirring up with you, and just kind of take it step by step, and and then go from there and see what what you want to look down for. I always tell people medications can be very helpful, but I don't always like them as a first line treatment. You know, there's no such mm-hmm. thing as a magic pill ever. Mm-hmm. So I always urge people like take your time, see what feels right to you, look for all your options. And then decide what's the most appropriate thing so you feel good about the treatment that you're going to do. Yeah. Can we go back? I think you said it was Stephen
0: Hayes um, who did ACT, which is acceptance commitment therapy. Can you go into yes. that a little bit more? Because you have you, did yeah. you do that as part of your healing process?
1: I did. And it's because I wasn't super excited about CBT, which is cognitive behavioral. Mm-hmm. And that was based on Aaron Beck's work. Um, And it was this idea of if you can sort of reorganize the thoughts, then you'll be less anxious, which, yes, that's absolutely valid. But my OCD was so severe, I didn't see how that was really going to stop things that were happening. Both therapies can involve ERP, which is exposure response therapy, where you kind of just face your phobia a little bit. But acceptance and commitment had a hippie sort of basis to it. It was a little more Eastern-like. Just accept your thoughts. It's all gonna be all right. If <laughs> you know, which I kind of liked. And the success rate in literature was the same. Hmm. So I was, I was more on board with, okay, I'm less, I, I just don't believe this can really go away. I don't care if I'm behaviorally weird walking upstairs backwards, et cetera. As long as the thoughts are not so horrifying to me, if I can learn to live in harmony with that, I would rather do that it was just an easier thing for me to grasp on. So I did that for about a year and it was very helpful. Mm -hmm. I think it got me down symptomatically by like 25%. So it took the edge off and it gave me a lot of tools that I still use now when I'm having like an off day. Yeah. Can you share any of those tools? Of course I can. So I'm a big analogy person and a lot of people are very visual with anxiety because we're always up here. So... One little trick he had me do was close my eyes. And I was actually too scared to close my eyes at the time. So I looked (laughs) around and he said, when a negative thought or an intrusive thought comes in your brain, like I can't do this or I'm going to hurt somebody or um, I can't handle this, whatever it is, imagine a river and Mm -hmm. imagine that thought written on a little maple leaf just falls into the river and recognize it, acknowledge that it's there, see it, Give it attention, it wants attention, and then watch it flow down the river and go away.
0: Yeah. It's a bit like meditation. Actually, in the Tone It Up app, I have, I think there's a meditation in there about having the thoughts and just letting it float away and like see it, recognize it, accept it, realize it's Mm -hmm. just a thought
1: and let it drift away. (sighs) I love that. Isn't it nice? We're even just doing it right now. We're like, oh, it's so nice. And then you're like, because thoughts never kill you.
0: Yeah. And other things too, like just simple things of like, that is just a thought. It is not reality. It is not truth because your thoughts can become your truth, as mm-hmm. you know. And so, you know, just letting those thoughts come. And even, do you have a meditation practice?
1: Not really. I had a really hard time with meditation because for me, the the quiet space was where my trauma stuff's coming out. Mm. So I couldn't do yoga, I couldn't do meditation. The relaxation actually caused me to have these depersonalization episodes, which is where you kind of feel like you're walking around on a set. Like nothing looks real, everything looks fake. People don't look real, you can't recognize. Like I couldn't tell if people looking at me or through me. Those little things you notice about being a person just kind of go out the window. And everything just feels like a dream. So that would happen whenever I try to meditate. So it took me a long time to feel kind of safe in my, and even now I have to generally hold something and like, and fidget Mm -hmm. um, because the quiet thing is just a little too hard still. So, but as you know, it's constantly peeling back the onion. Yeah, Trauma work doesn't really stop with one treatment. You got to kind of keep working at it.
0: It will forever be ingrained in the cells of our body. But, again, you just keep working out. You do your best. Some days are good. Some days are not. And we have the tools. And, you know, and it's okay if some days you don't do those tools that make you feel good. But I think just, again, recognizing it. it, And I get better at that now. I'm like, this is anxiety coming on. I see you. (laughs) I hear you. you. I'm going to breathe through you and say you are not real. And something that, you know, can pull you out of it. One of the interesting modalities that you use as botanical medicine, and we're not talking ayahuasca, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Can you talk more about that?
1: Yeah. So um, I love botanical medicine, which is, I, I use mostly European herbals more than Chinese medicine, which is an entirely different school of thought how that works. It's fascinating. And I wish I knew it. I just don't. I do micronutrient therapies as well. And they're a little bit different. So I think we all have a tendency to think of pharmacological therapies, supplements and herbs as kind of the same thing. What works good for what symptom. In reality, they're all very different. So with pharmacology, we're actually looking to, it's called subtractive medicine. We're looking to inhibit a function, prevent an enzyme, or we're trying to stop something from working, which will inherently basically slow down some effect in the body. And that can potentially help pathology, like an antibiotic if you're actually killing that, then sure. Now when it comes to supplements, there's no supplement that's technically good anxiety because, for example, if somebody had very low B12 levels and we just said, oh, you have anxiety, we should try by 5-HTP. That's really good for your serotonin. It's not going to do anything to correct the B12. So then they go, I took it, it didn't help. Supplements don't work. Well, it's like, yeah, you have to know what you're treating because they're not trying to inhibit your symptoms or lessen your symptoms. It's trying to correct the in, nutrient imbalance, which would resolve the symptom indirectly. Now, herbs are even more different. So herbs are probably more similar to pharmacology in that they're not necessarily correcting a nutrient imbalance per se. A lot of them are working on a system to reduce symptoms, but a lot of them have healing properties as well. So some of them are antimicrobial. some of them do reduce inflammation. So it's kind of a blend of the two worlds, which is why I like them so much. And yeah, I think that's how I would describe the three. Yeah, so if a client comes
0: to you like, what is the process? I'm just interested because I try—I'm i, try, I I'm not on any medications for anything, so I always am, like, looking for a natural way. I even went to my doctor and did blood work a few weeks ago, and, like, I have high cholesterol. And it runs in my family. My dad is, like, the healthiest person in the whole wide world, and—or high cholesterol for my age. And I was like, What? You know, so I'm like, okay, cut out your fried food. She's like, I can put you on high blood uh, or cholesterol medication. I was like, no, 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 no. You know, and I'm (laughs) like, let me look at what I'm putting in my body, what I'm doing, making sure I'm working out. I was like, absolutely not. But of course, that's when you go to a doctor and they're like, we can put you on this, 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 and this, and you're good. So like going to someone like you, like, what is that process?
1: Yeah, and it's so true. And, you know, and cholesterol, oh, I just want to say mm, cholesterol is a really good thing. Like, we demonize it, but we also demonize lots of things in our body that are very good things. And without cholesterol, we don't make hormones. Without hormones, we have terrible PMS and no sex drive and all kinds of awful things. So, you know, and and the way I would look at cholesterol may not be the way that a more traditionally trained doctor might look at it. I'm more curious on, you know, the ratios and maybe some of the lipoproteins. So I want more of a complex picture than just like total triglycerides. Yeah. It's like kind of boring. So what I would want to do typically when I see people is I have an initial appointment, and that's where like, just tell me your story, just go Hit the play button. They talk, you know, and I listen till they're done. <laughs> so, and that gives me a sense of what's important to them and what's really been on their mind? How long is it going on? You know, I'll ask questions too. Some of my questions are a little weirder. Like, Hey, after you have an orgasm, do you feel tired? Do you feel energetic? Do you cry? What happens? That tells me a lot about their chemistry up here. Mm -hmm. So I'm just trying to get a sense of the whole body. Cause I don't want to treat like, what disease do you have? I mean, yeah, it's important, but I want to know like what's causing you not to feel your best, you know? And usually people can tell you, they already know, They're like, Hey, I really feel like I've got an infection. I really feel this. Okay. You live in your body, you know, and that's where I'll typically recommend different nutrients or supplements, herbs from there. And so if we get them out of immediate suffering and that's based on clinical presentation of what seems pretty obvious to me, then usually I like to run some blood work too. And then I'll look at that functionally as well. Cause those lab ranges are so old. Like when you look at the lab range for anything like thyroid, cholesterol, that was created Around the 1920s, when people mm. were shorter, they were leaner. We didn't mm. have all this glyphosate or processed food, mm-hmm. and so everything was different. Like you made your own pasta; you didn't buy it in a box, right? Right. So those ranges haven't changed in almost 100 years. So to me, it doesn't really make sense because we are all so different. So I, I am under the school thought that we have to look at them differently as well. So, like, I had a kid who she had it was barely, barely out of range. Like her thyroid was barely out of range and she had really bad OCD and uh, depression. So once we just barely tweaked it, all her anxiety got a lot better. Now, technically nothing was wrong. She didn't have clinical hypothyroidism, you know? Mm -hmm. But, and some of it's very easy. Like I had a kid, uh, his hair was falling out. He wasn't sleeping. He ran thyroid and it was a little bit out. His doc said, it'll probably go back in on its own, which, ah, so it didn't like that. And um, I was like, look, just try changing your diet X, Y, and Z and add in, you know, a little more salt. And after a week, he's like, my hair's not falling out, you know, so we can do little things Mm -hmm. that seem so mild, but can make such a huge difference. So I like to focus a lot on that sort of stuff. And some of the big things I see with people are like, Hey, you're not drinking enough water Mm -hmm. and everybody knows that And you're not eating enough salt. (laughs) One of the biggest things in our culture is people don't eat salt. They avoid fat, too much sugar, too much fat. Yeah. Let's talk about salt a little more because, you know,
0: I think there's a lot of mixed messages like don't have too much salt and then have enough salt. So what is that balance? Because, you know, if you have like high blood pressure, you know, take away your sodium intake. But what, what are your thoughts on that?
1: You know what? I'm glad you asked the question and hang tight because I actually wrote it down yesterday because I was talking to somebody else about this, <laughs> but there's a huge problem with salts in our culture. The first thing I would say about it is in our culture, America, I mean, they recommend no more than 2.3 grams of sodium a day. So that's not a lot. And most of Europe, it's around six grams a day. So it's quite a lot more. There is a and seven this is a meta analysis they did of 170 clinical studies which is really impressive they found that when they did sodium restriction on people with normal blood pressure it only reduced it by about 1% when they've had people restrict with high blood pressure reduced it from 5.5 to 7% they found that when they sodium restricted it altered their renin and angiotensin levels which are part of the kidney and actually increased their risk of having a cardiovascular event. So they found that while it reduced your blood pressure, it increased your risk of having some sort of cardiovascular problem. Oh, um, shit. So. Okay, mm-hmm. so what, do we, story what is, do we do? Moral <laughs> story. The moral of the story is the people that really do need to watch their salt intake are the ones with high blood pressure and have a kidney disease related issue to that as well. If you can't process the salt in your kidney and you have high blood pressure, Sure. Absolutely. But if you've got great kidney function and you have a little bit of high blood pressure, most of my patients come to me and they're like, I'm on this medication, my high blood pressure, I can't ma- can't manage it. They're low on sodium. I'm always putting them on sodium. Their blood pressure usually gets more stable and oftentimes we have to reduce their medications as well.
0: And you're, we're not take, talking sodium on a french fry here.
1: No, we're not. <laughs> we're talking about really, really good salt. Um, we're talking about unbleached um, non-white salt. So I really like Redmond's Real Salt. Any of the pink salts are fine, but any of the white table salts, it's been stripped of mineral content, including iodine. So when you take the iodine away from the salt you use the chloride, you increase the sodium concentration. Um, so it it will be different in pink salt for sure. And so we're not, we're actually seeing a switch now in our culture because a lot of people are getting healthier cooking at home. They're doing more juicing. They're eating more like really good proteins and more plants, which means a lot less salt, a lot less salt. So you get high crappy sodium when you eat out, but there's a big shift and it, I mean, it depends a lot, but yeah, huge difference. I'm glad you asked that. Yeah. Okay, So I also
0: wanted to know, like specifically going back to like talking about gut health and explaining to those who don't understand what gut health is, because it's such a big word used these days, but gut health and anxiety and mental health.
1: Yeah, it's, I've not met somebody with anxiety that didn't have gut issues, meaning gas and bloating, indigestion, loose stool, burping, nausea waves, like, you know, all that kind of stuff almost always there's something there. And yes, there's there's a lot you'll read about like, oh, well, serotonin is made in the gut. Yes, that's true. But most of the serotonin you use comes from the brain. So that's not really the big issue. But the big issue is the, the microbiome content of the gut. So if you're not producing adequate acids, if you're not releasing adequate enzymes to break down all that stuff, if we're creating dysbiosis of the bacteria and the fungal markers are off, those bacteria are what are responsible to make a lot of your neurotransmitters and a lot of those neuropeptides. The most prominent one being GABA, which is your main inhibitory neurochemical, which calms down the nervous system. It's like slows down your thought loops, helps everything feel pretty steady. So if all that's not happening, then we can't feel good up here. And they've done so much good research on different strains of different bacteria that are directly linked to reducing depression, reducing episodes of mania, reducing anxiety, reducing panic um, increasing mood stability, all those kinds of things. So having, and we're actually more bacteria cells than we are our own cells. So the happier we can make our little bacteria, the happier we're going to be. And they did a study, a bunch of them, which I think a lot of people know right now, but they took the mouse, like these mice or rats, I forget now, but anyways, one very sad one and then one pretty happy one. And they ended up switching, they did a fecal transplant switch with each of them and the sad mouse became happy and the happy mouse became sad. So it's it has a lot to do with our microbiome. Okay, so
0: we symptoms of possibly having poor gut health: bloating, burping, farting's healthy, isn't it?
1: It can be if it's not horribly toxic smelling. Oh, I got to <laughs> talk
0: to my husband.
1: Oh, <laughs> you're like, babe, I love you, but <laughs> no. <laughs> So, and then um, pain, indigestion, cramping, feeling full too early, feeling like food doesn't sit well. I've got a lot of people that will tell me like, I just, I don't like meat. It just doesn't, it feels gross when I eat it. Mm -hmm. And so that's why a lot of anorexia nervosa, like is actually not necessarily always a psychological issue. If people don't have enough zinc, you can't make enzymes. If you can't make enzymes, your body will make you feel repulsed by meat because you can't break it down. And then you'll just feel mm-hmm. like, ooh, I don't want it. So while of those things we see on both sides, what's common in both anorexia and low zinc levels, we see loss of sense of smell, we see feeling full too early, we see an aversion to meat, and we see low appetite.
0: Okay. And then since we've already talked about farting, um, what with gut health, I'll use a correct word, stool. Like, what should, <laughs> like, can you tell if you have poor gut health? We'll just call it poop. It's poop. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it is, it is, So what we're looking for is at least having one bowel movement a day. Some people have more, but generally speaking, if you don't have one a day, that is a little concerning. Constipation is very common in our culture because of our food intake it has a lot to do with the poor mineral content of our diet. We're more mineral deficient than we are vitamin deficient. There's also a lot of research on sodium benzoate, which is a food preservative, and they show that sodium benzoate inhibits your production of leptin and ghrelin levels. And those hunger and satiety hormones, when they don't get released, people don't feel that full. They don't feel that hungry. So processed foods will absolutely affect how well you can eat. And then, of course, we want to make sure the stool is not an odd color, if it's more like pebbles and, and like hard, or if it's too loose and more watery, it's falling apart, Like all those things. <laughs> like And I actually show patients, but like not real like cartoons. they show cartoon pictures. And I'm like, which one's yours? You know, because that will give us a lot of hints on what's actually happening in the digital track, because, you know, it's kind of vague. If someone says, I don't feel good, you know, or I'm tired, cough, stomach hurts, it could be a thousand things. So the more clues could be helpful.
0: Yeah. Well, on that note... <laughs> is there anything else you want to share here i mean i love i there's so much more you could talk about and all of your th- different therapies that you use but anything you want to highlight here for everyone or tips for anyone to take home or maybe if they need to go get something checked
1: out or educate mm. i'd say like the i know the basics are super boring like are you sleeping well are you eating well all that kind of stuff. But I think the marker of good health is if you are sleeping well, if you have adequate energy, if you have a bowel movement every day and you have an appetite, if all those are there, decently healthy. But I would say if those things are not in place, then it doesn't have to be your normal. So it's just because you're used to it doesn't mean it's normal. Just because it's common in your family doesn't mean it's normal. So if there's something that's just not good enough and you are worth it, then go down the rabbit hole a little bit, you know, it's never too late to make your life a little bit better. I've got people that have been in withdrawal for years off of segments.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: they're like, is this just the way it is? That I damage my brain? No, you didn't. But body will heal in a way that's easiest, not way that's best. It will be on a cascade of maintaining whatever's been going on. So if we want to change that direction, we have to be proactive. Like time will not heal Anything—it's biggest myth in medicine. So we actually have to be proactive with our health, and and then that's when we'll see changes. So,
0: how long? Say someone was has been on psych meds for a decade. How long will it take to wean off of that and feel good?
1: Mm, so most of my people, I take them off in a less than a year. Um, for some people, it can be a little bit shorter or longer. And I always tell people, give it about two years to recalibrate, and that's because. Not that you'll feel bad the whole two years, but those days where you feel really tapery and awful and withdrawal mm-hmm. symptoms, those days will be less intense and less frequent over time. But it's not unusual for maybe nine months down the road for someone to be like, whoa, I feel like I'm tapering again. That's really weird. And then it'll kind of go away. It just takes a while for things in your body to really let go. And like I had one girl in she's doing sauna therapy. She actually girl. So she's like 40, but she came out and she's like, I can smell the hot topic perfume I wore when I was like a kid. It was coming out in her sweat because it stays like things like that really do stay. So there's a lot of things in psychiatric medications, like fluorides and different, you know, things that are not necessarily healthy for us. So a lot of the drug metabolites will go out. We study the half life that. But we don't study the half-life of the synergistic effects, that's toxicology, of the inactive ingredients of our food and our medications, our toothpaste, our skin. All those things, they can form these, like, complexes and they can stick around for a long time. So. Yeah.
0: And again, I think we were talking before this started, you know, some mental illness or mental health conditions, you need medication. And then some you can get weaned off. And there's no mm-hmm. right or wrong. It's just making sure... You feel your best, but um, I'm always for trying the all-natural first. And I have a question, too. Do you use red light therapy with your clients?
1: I use a lot of infrared, so we do that. And a lot of people do, like, different types of light therapy or laser therapies. So it's one of my favorite things to do just because, you know, less invasive. Yeah. It's pretty easy. You yeah. know, a few side effects. Yeah. Well, Dr. Britz, thank you for
0: this very informative and fun conversation. I will put everything in the show notes on how to find you. And I appreciate it so much for sharing all of this insight with everyone.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It was so much fun. I I mean, I can hear about this stuff all day.
0: (laughs) All right. Much appreciation. (laughs)
1: Likewise. Thanks, cream. Mm -hmm. Breathe in, breathe out.
0: Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you or anyone you know needs help now, text HERO to 741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Here's to radical self love. The type of love
1: that will defeat anxiety. The type of love that defeats depression. This is the one life. This is the moment. This is the time to
0: dig in to be who you already are. The big silence. Breathing, breathing.